You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to be with you. Happy Father's Day, all the fathers in the room. Oh, all right. Happy, we'll work on that, guys. We'll work on that. That was weak. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 46 today, and uh, we are wrapping up our series called Unveiled. Sad face. Anybody else hate goodbyes? Oh, I hate goodbyes. Man, it's the worst. And we've had such a good time being with Jesus in these verses But tonight, today, it's time to say goodbye. We're wrapping up this series. Uh, Next week, we're going to begin a new series called Proverbs, Words of the Wise and the Ways of God. And so don't miss it. This summer, that's where we're going to be parked, going through the the Proverbs and just getting some wisdom. Look at your neighbor right now and say, get wisdom. That's right. That was harsh. A little harsh. Feel some discord in the body. I'm sorry. Get wisdom. So we'll be there next week. Uh, but first, we're going to wrap up this series called Unveiled. And here's, here's a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in a household, uh, one of four siblings, but my oldest, she's 13 years older than me. And so it kind of has that dynamic of like a third parent. You know what I'm talking about? And so it was Sammy, Jackie, Barbara. Sammy, Jackie, Barbara. That was my, my little triad that I grew up in. All of us were adopted. Uh, Sammy, Jackie, Barbara. You know, I was 10, 9, 8, just boom, Sammy, Jackie, Barbara. And, so, and then actually when I was in high school, we were, when I was a sophomore in high school, we adopted another little girl. So I have my youngest sister, Jalissa. She was eight years old when she came to live with us. And so we are a beautiful adopted family. And as I'm sure in your family, each of your kids has a reputation, right? Even a child is known by his doings, the Proverbs say. And I've been reading a lot of those lately. And uh, I was known for my doings as a child. So I wonder if anybody else had this reputation, but... Um, I was the last person you wanted to send into the refrigerator to grab something. You know what I'm talking about? And so my mom says, Sammy, I need you to go grab the ketchup out of the fridge. I'm like, okay, mom, I'll grab the ketchup. Because it was attitude. I don't know why you have to have an attitude about ketchup, but it was always attitude with me, you know? So I go into the fridge, and I do one of these, and I open it up, and I'm just like, Ma, there's no ketchup. Sammy, I just bought the ketchup. It's in the fridge. Grab it behind the door. I'm telling you, there's no ketchup. I'm just like, I'm, I'm losing here. I'm like, there's no ketchup. Sammy, if I have to tell you one more time, oh my gosh, God, help me get the ketchup. One of these days, my mom will visit and you'll understand all my accents. I'm like, this is how my mom talks. You know, she's from New York and she's Puerto Rican. And so she's like, get the ketchup. And I'm like, there's no ketchup. She walks over, moves out of the way, grabs the ketchup right in front of my face, puts it down and sits down and says, now sit down and eat your food, right? How many of you know you can have eyes and still not see? You know what I'm saying? You can, and she would say, look with your eyes, Sammy. That was her phrase. I'm like, what else am I looking with, Ma? Look with your eyes, Sammy. You can have eyes and still not see, even if it's right in front of you. Friends, this is what this series is about. You can have eyes and still not see Jesus. You can have eyes and still be spiritually blind to the goodness and the ways of God. And so encounter after encounter, person after person, we have seen people 
come into contact with Jesus. And as a result of this encounter, as a result of this meeting, Jesus lifts the veil. Jesus is opening people's eyes. He's lifting the veil and increasing their understanding of who exactly is this Jesus. And so our prayer for the last couple of months has been, as we go through this series, our prayer has been for you, East Point Church, for you men and women, our prayer has been that Jesus' goodness, that his beauty, that his identity would be more and more unveiled for you. And so as a result of this series, has anybody else seen Jesus more clearly? Does anybody else get it a little bit more? Have you gone through this book? Have you gone through these episodes and each week walked away going, I see it. Wow, that's who he is. If so, amen. That's been our prayer. And so we're going to wrap it up this morning. But before we do, we have one more person who's going to meet Jesus. We have one more person who's going to see him more clearly. One more person, friends, who's going to walk away from an encounter with Jesus and have greater insight and clarity onto who he is. And his story is particularly good news for each of us. Because the man who's going to see Jesus today is blind. (laughs) The man who sees Jesus today is a blind man. Don't you love the Bible? And so as you listen to this episode, as you see this story, listen, see what God is saying to us. Consider what God is saying to you, my blind friends, and see how this is going to be good news for you. So are you ready? Would you like to meet my blind friend? This uh, sermon is called The Eyes of Faith. The Eyes of Faith. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read our entire episode here. And then let's just break it down verse by verse. Sound good? Here we go. Mark chapter 10. Come on, get the Bible finger ready. Just gotta, If you don't have your physical Bibles open, you want to do that probably, open up your phone. But at East Point Church, we love the Bible, and we're going to be tracking together. So let me read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and break it down line by line. Here's God's word for his church. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thank you, God, for your word. All right, let's look at this again, guys. Lots of good stuff in this final story here. And we pick it up in verse 46. Let's read it one more time. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's pause the story right there. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. We know this. He is heading toward Jerusalem where he will lay down his life as a sacrifice and as a substitute for humanity. And on the way, on the road, as he walks, we realize his reputation has preceded him, has it not? His reputation has preceded him. Story after story has been told. Encounter after encounter has been shared, no doubt, by the very people who have experienced Jesus for themselves. And so his fame, his reputation is spreading like wildfire through every neighborhood, across ethnic lines. It's spreading through the highest social elites and the lowest social outcasts. It is spreading, friends, his fame. And today we see that his fame has even spread to a blind beggar on the outskirts of Jericho at the bottom of the social hierarchy to a blind beggar. It says even he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. See, notice blind Bartimaeus has yet to see Jesus for himself, but he's heard of him. He's yet to meet. He's yet to have an encounter with Jesus for himself. But he's heard of him. He's heard of him. Does anyone else want to see the fame of Jesus spread like wildfire on the eastern shore? Come on, somebody. Does anyone else want to see the fame of Jesus spread into the nooks and crannies of our community? Do you not want your neighbors and your family and your friends and your coworkers? do you not want it to be said of them? They heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. The fame of Jesus is spreading. That's why we're a story-sharing people, by the way, right? That's why we share our story. Yes, our faith in Jesus is personal, but it's not private. It is a public testimony. We want the world to know. And so ask yourself, when was the last time you shared your story? When was the last time you got to tell someone, maybe even your children, dads, Maybe even your children. When was the last time you told someone what Jesus has done for you and how he saved you and what it was like in those days where, the, where your eyes were opened and you came to faith? When was the last time you told someone about how he's provided for you and how he sustained you, how he's delivered you? We are story-sharing people so that his fame can spread. And so here we are, side of the road, a blind beggar, and we see that the fame of Jesus is increasing. But that's not the only thing that's increasing. Check it out. He starts to cry out. He's heard of Jesus of Nazareth. And so he starts to cry out to get Jesus' attention. And he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. This man's blind. He's asking for mercy on his condition. He longs for the famous Jesus of Nazareth to have compassion to have mercy? Would you ease my suffering? Could you do for me what I've heard you do for so many other people? Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard of Jesus of Nazareth. But did you notice what he called him? He calls him Jesus, son of David. Now, you've probably celebrated Christmas before. You've, you might have even like set up a little nativity scene, right? 
And so here's like Bible 101. Jesus' parents' names were Mary and Joseph. I mean, it's a softball right there, right? Let's say it again for those of you who didn't know. Mary and Joseph. Yeah, I knew that the whole time. Yeah, you did. Mary and Joseph. That's Jesus' parents' names. But he calls him Jesus, son of David. So is this like a case of mistaken identity? Jesus is like, no, 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 there's a lot of Jesuses out here. Okay, that's Jesus, son of Joseph, Jesus, son of David, two completely different people. Is that what's happening here? Wrong Jesus? No, no, no. Why does he call him Jesus, son of David? This is where the Bible is fascinating. Okay, let's understand. Back in the day, a thousand years before Christ, the highest, the, the high watermark of kings, the greatest king that Israel had ever seen, his name was David. Maybe you've heard the story of David and Goliath, right? Same David. And so David was the high watermark of kings. But look at the promise that God made to David. 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. A few verses later. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God's promise to David is that he will have an ancestor who will rule and reign on the throne forever. That's his promise. David, here's my promise to you. One of your ancestors, I will elevate him to the throne and his rule will know no end. So David died. Solomon, his direct son, died. And so this start, there starts to be what I call this messianic expectation in the Old Testament. Where's the king? Where's the promised king? Where's the son of David? Where is the ancestor of David that God said would rule over his people and reign in perfect justice? Where's the Messiah? And so, similar to a child who can't wait for Christmas on the Christmas Eve, right? Children were brought up on stories. Men and women were taught to yearn for the days that this Jesus would come. Your most unbearable, burdensome days were made a little bit better by the promise of the hope. One day the king is coming. So where is this king? Where is this ancestor? Where is this son of David? And so here we have on the side of the road, Bartimaeus cries out. And in a stunning revelation, right? We, we know that in that time, there were a lot, of, a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was, right? He's just a teacher. He's a prophet. Oh, he's a madman. Oh, he's a phony, right? And blind Bartimaeus, from his little perch on the side of the road, he says, not me. And he declares loudly, I believe that this is the son of David. I believe that this is God's king who has come from the line of David. He may have been raised in Nazareth, but I believe he's from heaven. This is the one in whom I can put all my hope. This Jesus who is walking right in front of me, this is the one we've been waiting for. And so forgive me for making a scene, but Jesus, have mercy on me. You see, somewhere along the line, these stories about Jesus have birthed faith in Jesus. Remember, blind Bartimaeus, he's heard the stories. The fame of Jesus was increasing, but not only was the fame increasing, faith was increasing. And we see from Bartimaeus that the spreading fame of Jesus leads to increasing faith in Jesus. 
That's the magic, baby. That's the prayer. Friends, many of you are here right now because you have heard of the fame of Jesus. I mean, you're, you're in a church. I mean, you're in a YMCA, but gathering as a church, right? You know the fame of Jesus. You've heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. You have that kind of friend who won't stop talking about Jesus and what he's done in her life. You have that coworker who just wants to tell you constantly about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know the fame of Jesus. But have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you come to a point, just like blind Bartimaeus did, where he said, I believe that he is who he claimed he is. You see, you can hear the fame of Jesus, friends. You can hear all the stories about Jesus, but you must come to a point as Jesus walks in front of you and you're sitting on the side of the road, who do you say he is? Is that just Jesus from Nazareth? Or is that Jesus, son of David? Who do you believe he is? It's just a fairy tale. It's just a good religious story I tell my kids so that way they obey and they're more moral. He was just a teacher. I mean, he was just a good figure. You can put him on the Mount Rushmore of humanitarians and philanthropists. Gandhi, Jesus, Martin Luther King, you know, Mother Teresa. Boom, there it is. Is that all he is? Or is he God's chosen king who has come to save you? Is he God's chosen king to whom you can cry out in faith, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God. Show me the way. I'll follow you. Fame of Jesus. May it lead to faith in Jesus. And so that's where Bartimaeus is. He's crying out in faith. And we look at this statement of faith. We look at this crying out in faith like, wow, what a cool moment. Not for the disciples. Put yourself in their shoes. You're walking with a very important person to Jerusalem. You're part of Jesus' entourage. You got a little bit of a puffed out chest at this moment because you're like, yeah, yeah, we're walking Jesus to Jerusalem. And an unkempt, homeless beggar on the side of the road starts screaming at you. All of our security members here, they would call that a DLR. Doesn't look right. Hey, we got an alert, right? We got a DLR, bogey on, like just, let's keep it moving, people. Jesus, this way. And they try to usher him by, right? That's what, that's what you would think. And that's exactly what they do. Take a, take a look. It says here in verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And so this man, he's crying out. And many, not just one person who's having a bad day, many, the, the majority consensus of Jesus' posse is to rebuke him. Jesus can't stop. We're on a mission. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're doing something here. And I'm sorry to tell you, Bart, but blind beggars aren't on the itinerary. I don't know if they would say it this way, but they're certainly implying that this man is not important enough for Jesus. His request is too loud and unsightly. 
His neediness is awkward. He's making a scene. And to be honest, I just wish that he would disappear. Because we have bigger fish to fry. We have better things to do. Sorry, Bart, but you didn't make the cut. So shh, be silent. Keep away. We're on a mission. You see, they are operating according to the operating system of this world. Isn't this how the world works? We we live in a world that deals in social capital and judges according to appearance. See, according to the world, this man's value is not high enough to come to Jesus. And so let's keep him away. Have you ever been made to feel like that? Like you weren't important enough? Have you ever felt unqualified? Have you ever stood in a room and were made to feel inferior? Have you just ever been outright unwelcome somewhere? That's the way the world works sometimes. And it's ugly. But here's what's important in this verse. It's not the world that told him to be quiet. It's the cloud of Jesus' followers around Jesus that rebuke him. Even the crowd of people following Jesus. Hello, East Point Church. Even the crowd of people following Jesus can sometimes operate like the world. And so here's a reminder. Here's a cautionary tale toward us Jesus followers that even we can make the mistake of sizing people up and treating them according to the pecking order of the world. And if you think I'm talking about you, I'm talking about myself. Guilty. And it's ugly. It's ugly when we see the world operate like this. But we're given a glimpse of the ugliness so that we can see in stark contrast the beauty of Jesus. We're given a glimpse of the darkness of social awkwardness and politicking so that we can see in contrast the beauty of how Jesus treats people because Jesus calls near whom the world keeps away. He calls near whom the world keeps away. So the world, they want to keep him away. They shush him, but his faith, it manifests itself as just persistent. He just cries out all the more. He shouts over them, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows that his need is too great to care what other people think. Jesus is here, and so this is his shot. Jesus! Jesus! And they're walking, and they're trying to usher Jesus along, and Jesus stops. It's the best. It says, Jesus, right in his tracks, he stops. Something caught his attention. Something something perked up his ears. Friends, there is something in this world. I believe there is something in this room right now that touches the very ears of Jesus. There is something that happens in this room, in this world, where Jesus cannot help but stop and perk his ears up. And do you know what that is, friends? It's neediness. Do you know that? Jesus is attracted to raw neediness. Jesus can't help but stop and move towards someone who cries out to him in faith. 
His very being cannot help but move toward the cries of the broken who cry out to him in faith, just like a mother cannot help at the sound of a crying baby to, to everything inside of you. And Jesus responds just like that to needy people. And as I look at a room full of needy people, as I look at the mirror filled with a needy person, that's good news. That's good news, friends. See, they thought that this man didn't qualify to show up on Jesus' radar. But Jesus makes it clear that they are terribly mistaken. They say, we can't stop. We're on a mission. And Jesus stops as if to say, men like this are the mission. Needy men, needy women who are in desperate need of God's hope and comfort and salvation This is why he's going to Jerusalem in the first place. He is on his way to lay down his life so that people like Bart, who have already realized how bankrupt this world is, can have eternal life. He's going to Jerusalem so that every single individual in this room who has already realized what the world offers is empty. He goes, good news, there's another way. There's my way. There's God's way. And so have you ever felt like you weren't good enough. You're, you're not educated enough. You don't have enough Bible knowledge to come near to Jesus. You weren't one of those kids that had Bible songs when you were three years old. Like, you're late to the game. You're not good enough. Stay away. Maybe you felt the opposite. Maybe it's possible that you're just, you felt like you're too well-to-do. You're too good. I mean, you're just You've been so materially blessed, how can you possibly complain to God about the ache in your heart, right? Like, how, how can I come near to Jesus? I need to leave Jesus for the more obviously needy people. And me, I'm, I'm so well-to-do, I, how can I even complain about this ache I feel? And so I should be kept away. Friends, if you've ever felt so needy, good news you're the type of person that Jesus has come for. He comes for, he moves toward those who recognize their need for him. And even though the world tells people to stay away, Jesus calls near whom the world keeps away. And he stops. He hears you. And he turns toward you. And you want to see my favorite observation in this entire passage? You should underline this because this is amazing. You want to see it? I feel like it's a goodie bag. I just, I love it. Look what he does, right? He stops the caravan and he says to his disciples, call him. Now, if I were Jesus, hypothetically, this sounds like a really bad world we're living in at this point, but go with me. If I were Jesus, I would have probably stopped and go, shh, shh, shh. I would have shushed the shushers. Sometimes you got to shush the shushers, you know what I'm saying? I would have shushed the shushers and said, shh, shh, shh. Hey, Bart, ba- Bartimaeus, shh, come here, Bartimaeus, come here, ignore them. And I would have just stepped up, right? I want to be the hero of the story. I want to be the one who shows Bartimaeus, I love you like this. And so he, I would have stepped up and said, Bartimaeus, come here. And I would have picked him up and carried him and explosions were going off in the background. And I'd bring him to center stage and say, ignore them, I'm Jesus, right? And scene. Come on, I'm going to write to the writers of The Chosen. I got some ideas, man. Come on. But he doesn't do that. 
He doesn't shush the shushers. He doesn't call Bartimaeus himself. What does he tell them to do? He says, I want you to call. He tells the very people who were trying to keep him away to now call him near. Why? It's because Jesus, well, he's training them. He's training them. You see, at my dinner table, if my three-year-old says, I want water, give me water. You know, what I, you know what I don't do? I don't go, yes, sir, yes. I go get the water and I hand it down. I go, here you go, my three-year-old king, right? I, I don't do that. I'm called to train my three-year-old. So you know what we say in my house? If my three-year-old says that, I go, try again with the eyebrow. You know, so try again. And if he doesn't get it, he goes, I said I want water. And I go, try that again. I said I want, try again, son. May I please have some water? <laughs> right? I'm training him. I go, hey, what you just did was not right. Let me give you another, another opportunity to get it right. And today they say, shh, Bartimaeus, silence. And Jesus says, try again. Call him. And he gives them an opportunity to get it right. You see, in the world, their actions made sense. Keep those kind of people away. But in the kingdom, at Jesus' dinner table, they have it all wrong. And so he gives them an opportunity to practice the very thing that he will soon commission them to do. Go and call people to come near and meet Jesus. Go and call people to come near and meet Jesus. He's training them, go into the world and tell anyone and everyone who would listen, even those whom the world would keep away, hey, get up, come near, Jesus is calling you. He's training them. This is what they do. This is what they would do when Jesus left. Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And so they're getting a rep. They're getting an opportunity here. Friends, think about Think about in your life, who are the people that effectively played this role, who spoke to you and said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Who are the people in your life who sat down with you and explained the gospel very simply for you to understand and then called you to the point of decision and said, hey, take heart, he's calling you, get up. Who are those people who were instrumental in introducing you to and connecting you to Jesus? Can you think of any people? Do you think of them fondly? Do you get warm on the inside as you think of them? And now I'm going to blow your mind. You're called to be that for others. He's training them. And he's training you to send you out into the world to needy people who are crying out for mercy. And he says, I want you to call them near. I want you to say, take heart. He hears your prayers. I want you to go to the blind beggars and say, get up. He's calling you. I want you to go out to people who are crying out in pain and say, hey, he is ready to be the answer to all of your prayers. Get up. He's calling you. Come to Jesus. We get to do that. You get to do that. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and partners with Jesus. May there be many, many people 
in the kingdom of God one day because God in his sovereign grace trained you to say, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And I just can't help but wonder how many blind beggars, spiritually speaking, are in our lives crying out for mercy, crying out for relief and compassion. And Jesus is sitting there saying, try again to us. Try again. Get up. Take heart. He's calling. And so they say it. Try again. And they try again. And what does the man do? Springs up with stunning alacrity for a beggar. Throws off his cloak and moves his way toward Jesus. And look at the last two verses of their exchange. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Comes up to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, Bart, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Excuse me, isn't it obvious, right? Is this guy not God? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus already know? Why is he asking the man, so what would you like me to do for you? See, we've seen this countless times that when Jesus interacts with people, he draws them out. He engages their hearts. He gets people to relate to him by telling him what's on their heart. Friend, Jesus loves hearing from you. And I bet you there are not a few people in this room that if Jesus were to show up right in front of you and say, what would you like me to do for you? That, a few, that more than a few of you would go, I think it's pretty obvious. But he's training you. And he's teaching you how to relate to him. And he wants us to know, friends, that we can tell him our neediness. That we can relay our sincere request and burdens. He says to you this morning, tell me, what do you want me to do for you? There's prayer right there. And so he's training this, this new fledgling faith-bearing man. Tell me. And so the man tells him. And the faith that was bubbling up in his heart now overflows from his mouth. The thing that he secretly believed God can do in his heart, he now takes the next step of faith and says it with his mouth. It's one thing to believe something in the confines of your mind. But when you say it out loud, you believe it. And so he draws out the faith and he develops his faith. And the man says, let me recover my sight. In other words, I'm asking you to do this because I believe you can do this. Let me see. Ease my suffering. Touch my eyes. Do for me what I've heard you do for so many other people. And I believe you can do it for me, which is why I'm asking in front of all these people, and I don't care who knows it. And immediately he recovered his sight. Immediately the man recovered his sight. And we've seen episodes like this of people being healed, and there's spit involved, and there's touching, and there's praying, and there's laying on of hands. And, and the picture we get in our last scene, immediately. Why? Why is he healed? Why such an instant connection? 
gospel, Jesus makes it clear. He tells him what he's told every other person in the situation. Your faith has made you well. You see, this man comes to Jesus and we learn that faith in Jesus allows us to see Jesus. Faith in Jesus. That's the key to this interaction here. Jesus is saying to the man, you believe me. You trust me. You believe that I am who I said I am. You believe I can do what I said I would do. You have put the weight of your life in this moment on me. And every time you do that, friend, you will not be disappointed. And so he comes in faith. That's the key to connecting with Jesus. What is Jesus looking for from needy people? Well, you got to make sure you give money first. Then you got to get like a good streak. You got to go to church at least four times in a row. That, that shows God you're serious. Then you got to, you know, clean up your habits, get rid of your vices. You got to read the Bible at least one verse a day. You, gotta, you just got to get your act together and then you'll get God's attention. False. He's looking for men and women who come to him in faith, who believe, who trust. And how do you know if you believe? How do you know if you truly are trusting him, if you've really put the weight of your life on who he is? Well, look what Bartimaeus does. After he recovered his sight, he followed him on the way. He became a disciple. True faith, biblical faith, connects us to Jesus, not as a recipient of an occasional gift. Thank you, I'll move on my way. Oh, I need something else, Jesus. Thank you. Okay. Excuse me, Santa. I mean, Jesus, I need one more thing. Thank you, right? That's not faith. Faith doesn't connect us to Jesus as a recipient of an occasional gift. It connects us to Jesus as a follower of his ways. You can know for sure whether or not you truly believe, whether or not you truly trust and have faith based on how you respond to Jesus' call to discipleship. Follow me. And there it is once again in the book of Mark, the clarion call of discipleship. Follow me. And so Bartimaeus follows because he has faith. And all who come to him in faith, friends, will end up following him with sight. And that wraps up our series. Why is this good news? Why has God given us this story of a blind man receiving sight? It's because God wants me to know and he wants you to know that blind men still see Jesus today. Blind men and women still see Jesus today. If you haven't noticed, we are the blind men. We are the blind men and women who can't see right we are the blind men and women whose eyes, spiritually speaking, are blinded from the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God's ways. All of us are blind. This is an equal opportunity offense statement. Every single one of us are born spiritually blind with hard hearts and blind eyes. But in the healing of this blind man, we're given hope that we can see. That if we come to Jesus, we can learn what God does for us. You see, every single week, the gospel is preached from pulpits. 
Every single day, the gospel is shared over coffee and around dining room tables. And every time the simple message is communicated into the air, Jesus is present, ready to open eyes. God is present, looking into people's hearts, and he's birthing faith. What's your response to this message? And he's birthing faith. And here's the simple message. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, born of a virgin, living a sinless life and yet dying a sinner's death in our place so that all who follow him in faith can be brought into the fold of God. End scene. That's the gospel. And in that moment, every time it's communicated, friends, God is birthing faith in people's hearts. Every day, people are responding to that simple message in faith. They're responding with a, yes, please, and thank you, sir, and that sounds nice. Every day, people are responding by trusting him with their lives. And as they put their faith in him, he lifts the veil. As we come to him in faith, he touches our once blind eyes, and we see those who come to him in faith will follow him with sight. And so I ask you, church, do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Obviously, you've heard of his fame. You know the fame of Jesus. You are here. But I'm asking you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Come to him. Believe in him. Ask him to restore your spiritual eyes. Let him open your eyes so that you can see the beauty of reality, so that you can see the creator for who he is. Those who come to him in faith will follow him with sight. And so as we wrap up this series, Unveiled, do you see him? Have, has the veil been lifted a little bit? Do you see Jesus more clearly now than you did three months ago when we began this journey? Do, do you understand his identity better now than we did at the start? Is there something in your heart that is more filled with faith? Is there more affection as you go, he is good? If so, then amen. And I want to give a specific call to response. If you're in this room, and you say, hey, as a result of this series, over the course of this study, as I've been reading the Bible, I get it. If that's you, if you have responded to this message with faith, and you say, I believe this, I want to follow him, then your next step, your first step, is called water baptism. Okay, you see, there's some universal signs out there, right? So if I do this, that means I'm what? I'm choking universal sign for choking. If I do this, that means we're good. If I do this, that means I'm a follower of Jesus. That's HSL, heavenly sign language, okay? This is the universal sign for going public with your faith. When a person believes in Jesus, they say, I want the world to know, and they get in a tank, and they get dumped, and they say, just as Jesus was dead and was risen to life, so I, my old life is dead, and now I'm alive. So maybe your response, your next step is to get baptized. Let us know. You can stop by the counter on the way out. You can text us. You can email us, whatever it is. But we would love to get you information. We have a class coming up in a few weeks for anyone who's interested in saying, I think I might want to get baptized. 
And then in a couple of months, we'll roll the tank in right here. And we're going to baptize people for the glory of God. And as those people come out of the water, they will be saying, the veil has been lifted. I see Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I will follow Jesus for the rest of my days. And all of the church said, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these episodes, Father, that are not just cool and and, and educational, but Lord, they are life-changing. You are transforming us, God, into the image of Jesus. So thank you for doing that. Pray for all my friends here that you would continue every day to open their eyes to see you and to magnify you with all of their being. And for those who are, are new to the faith, for those who feel like their next step is to to start their journey by getting baptized? Would you protect those seedlings of faith? Would you surround them with older, mature Christians who can disciple them and teach them how to follow Jesus? Feed their souls, Father, with the word, with your spirit, and with community. We love you, Lord. We magnify you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.